Welcome to the Star Love Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Beck, the Oracle in New Orleans, founder of Inner Makeup Astrology. And tonight we have a very special guest, Anthony Lewis, who is a retired psychiatrist, but has been a lifelong student of astrology, tarot, and all other kinds of divination. So he's had a parallel career as an astrologer and very lettered. Um, he's authored many books and you can find them on Amazon. Uh, amongst them, Tarot, Plain and Simple, The Complete Book of Tarot, Tarot Beyond the Basics, which I use all the time in my own practice, Horary Astrology, Plain and Simple, and I recommend that even if you're not doing horary astrology, some of the definitions of the signs and houses is just absolutely wonderful. The art of forecasting using solar returns. So you can see Tony's very lettered. <laughs> uh, the annotated Raphael's mundane astrology, uh, primary directions in astrology, a primer, Lenormand symbols, Power Secrets of Astrology, um, the Planetary Hours to Plan for Success, the Journey of the Tarot Fool around the Zodiac, um, you know, many more. I mean, even in Spanish, Un Gaia Practica. So check out all his books. Uh, Anthony also has a wonderful blog that I go to all the time, and that's at tonylewis.wordpress.com. Um, on a personal note, I met Tony at the Astrological Society of Connecticut, I guess it was two or three years ago, forget, but it really changed my life. He was giving um, a lecture about the planet Pluto or planetary body Pluto, now it's classified as a dwarf planet, and actually that was a little bit of the topic that Pluto is kind of a little bit of space junk, and it was just an absolutely transformative evening for me because I had never experienced so many disciplines coming together um, in one space, you know, take for example psychology, mythology, um, you know, many other disciplines. It just was a very transformative night for me, which, you know, the planet Pluto is about transformation. So without further ado, Tony, <laughs> how are you doing? Okay, thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> I, I'm impressed. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I just, I wonder how you even, you know, it's amazing because, um, you know, I know that you were a practicing psychiatrist. I never really know how you had the time to have this parallel career and, you know, be so lettered and, you know, be such a wonderful astrologer yourself. I mean, how did you have the time to do all this? Or, and are still doing it now? Well, it's been a hobby lifelong, essentially, since my, I guess about 11 years old when I got into it. And so always in the background, when I had some spare time, I would read about or do some astrology. And uh, it's cumulative because I'm now well, 74 years old. So I've had many years to work on it. Right. So I recall you telling a story about how you got into astrology. I think it was related to your father, correct? Yeah. Um, the story briefly goes back this way. I, mean, I, I was always sort of aware of astrology. You know, you, there were newspaper columns about your sun sign. It would show up in movies and things and on TV. There'd be mention of it. Uh, and also, I always loved the sciences and astronomy in particular when I was that age. So I used to love to go to the library, get books about the stars. I mean, more about the science of the stars and the planets. And I had a toy telescope that I just got in the backyard and look at the sky with. Uh, and what happened was when I was about 11, uh, my family went to an amusement park where they had these machines where you put in a nickel or a dime and you'd get a little scroll that had your horoscope. So my father bought his, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so on the way home in the car, I read it. And it was so accurate, I thought. It really described him, his personality, his interests, his hobbies, his friends, uh, the kind of work he did. I couldn't understand how this little scroll could be so accurate. And my first thought was that he had played a practical joke on me and pretended to buy this thing and gave it to me to read as sort of a trick. <laughs> But then I realized I saw a little copyright at the bottom and I realized 
no, this is this is real. Somebody else wrote this and he just put in his sun sign and got this description that was so accurate. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand how that could be. So I ended up going to the library. And in those days, this is like about the mid 1950s. There were very few books on astrology available. And what my library had was a couple books by Evangeline Adams, which I took out and read. And that was my introduction to astrology. And then whenever I could, I would try to get more information. And I was really into math and science as a teenager. So I, I learned how to cast charts uh, using logarithms and the ephemeris uh, and calculating the midheaven and the cusps of houses and putting in the planets. And so I began yeah, doing ch charts. charts. Oh, I hear oh, an echo. That's okay. Keep, you keep talking. Okay. So okay. I began doing so charts, charts for family, family and friends. And friends. Uh, still uh, very so puzzled and, and unable to understand, understand how this could work because it did seem to work often, not always. And what I did since I was kind of scientifically minded, I would write out predictions for people based on their charts. And then several months later, I would check with them to see what happened with those predictions. And I kind of learned that way by trial and error what worked and what didn't. And many times the predictions were accurate and sometimes they were just wrong. But it continued to puzzle me and does to this day. <laughs> How is it that uh, you can look at a chart, use the rules that we've inherited from a couple thousand years of practices? And they still work. And uh, every time it's accurate, uh, I'm just amazed. <laughs> right. So I want to go back to one of the parts of your anecdote. One of the common criticisms of astrology, especially with sun sign columns, is, OK, well, how could it be possible that, you know, OK, somebody if, like you, you were at the amusement park and it was, you know, sort of a what was that film with Tom Hanks? It's like the scroll comes out and, you know, ostensibly everybody born under the sign of Gemini would have those characteristics, which would be, you know, millions upon millions of people. But mm -hmm. there's a one, one response and I wanted you to get a way in on this is, you know, it really would have been the moment. So it wasn't even so much that it would be acutely Gemini and that everybody has to fit you know, sun sign Gemini, but it was in that moment that for whatever reason, as you say, you know, sort of mysteriously or just that we can't understand causation or it's a causal as Carl Jung said, but that it was at that moment that something happened and it was, you know, maybe revelatory is not the right word, but you know, something in along this axiom of a causality that, you know, it, it triggered something and it really fit. And it was, you know, a lot of things came together in that moment without it being sort of scientifically sun and Gemini was your father. Right. Um, yeah, that's a theory that I subscribe to. Um, uh, I, I don't think astrology is a science in the sense of modern science. I think it's an, an art, a divinatory art. And I think, as Jung said, there's a lot of synchronicity involved, or to use an older term, it's more like an omen lore, that we receive omens at particular moments in life that are particularly meaningful to where we're at in our life and what we're doing. And uh, so, so I think that this incident when I was 11 years old was kind of like an omen that got me started in astrology. Okay, that's great. A couple questions on that. So you said when you were younger, you were, was it about the same time that you became interested in astrology? You know, the scroll came out of the game, or the sort of the machine, and you were also interested in astronomy. So you said you were first interested in astronomy, just, you know, looking at the stars, all that. But then, you know, how old were you about when the astronomy and the astrology started to blend together a little bit? Well, I think the astronomy came first. I always loved the sciences, and I just found fascinating descriptions of how things worked and the theory about how things worked scientifically. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and then when I came across this astrological scroll that seemed very accurate, I had no explanation for it. Whereas what I liked about the sciences was you would observe something and then there was an explanation that made sense. There was a logic to it, a theory behind it, and you could understand how the universe was functioning. And with the astrology, I couldn't do that. So I, I had this like gap I had. I wanted to understand and I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so my solution was to study it even more and get into it and really try to get into it in depth and try to see how it works. So that's very interesting. And it leads me to my next question, which is, you know, you said that you would make little predictions for people pretty early on, correct? Yes. You know, that gets into a little bit of not necessarily self-fulfilling prophecy, but there's something very mysterious when an omen rings in the universe that it can come true or that, you know, I think Rick Tarnas says that there's a relationship between the mind and the universe or there, you know, I forget who it was, but essentially it, one of the Greek philosophers or astrologers said that, um, you know, man is like the universe because man has soul and the universe has soul. Mm-hmm. So there's, so it's not just that these, that there are these um, scientific objective phenomena happening that we can observe, but then there's some way that we're related to the universe. And it, it strikes me as very interesting. So say when you were younger and I guess now still today making predictions, but that were involved in the predictions and the story in some way, and that they might come true or they might not, but that somehow we're part of the story. Mm-hmm. So is that a question? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of went on a tear there. But yeah, um, yeah the I, what do you think about when, you know, you were young or even nowadays, like you make a prediction that might not be like a hard, hard and fast prediction, but there still is some sort of prediction that, you know, we're involved with making and that there's something about, you know, our mind as interacting with the universe and that we're involved in the prediction. So it's not just something, as you say, that's observable by science um, and that, you know, this is something maybe even about your own nature that, you know, is relating to the universe in a kind of way. Do you feel that that's true or? Well, I mean, the idea of uh, the universe having a soul is a very old one that goes way back to ancient Greece, if not earlier. And actually is at the root of uh, Hellenistic astrology, the idea of a world soul and that uh, somehow by studying the stars, we were studying the mind of the deity, which was revealed in the uh, orderly functioning of the universe. And so basically we're we're reading the mind of God and reading the horoscope. Uh, That's a very old theory. I'm I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, absolutely. Um, Right. Um, Did you feel like there was something when you were younger, why certain predictions came to pass and why other ones didn't? Um, Well, I think my explanation was my incompetence. (laughs) (laughs) If they didn't come to pass, either I was not competent or else uh, astrology was bunk. (laughs) those were two explanations Mm -hmm. and when they did come to pass i was sort of in awe like how is this possible Mm -hmm. Um, and that must have you know you know nowadays we have computers and it's very easy to generate a chart but you said you were drawing these charts by hand from very early on well this is the days before personal computers right computers that existed were huge Mm -hmm. rooms in uh uh, universities full of vacuum tubes uh, and they could probably do about as much as a handheld calculator these days um, so yeah everything was done by hand so it was very time consuming mm-hmm. uh, on the other hand uh, when computers came out and I stopped doing them by hand I felt like I was missing something Mm. in the sense that when you do a chart from scratch by hand and you have to actually calculate uh, what was the sidereal time of birth and what was the mid heaven and then what cusps does that generate? You really get a feel you're building the chart from scratch step by step. And then you put the planets in and you really get a 
sort of uh, integrated sense of this chart that you don't get by looking at a computer screen mm -hmm. because you put it together from scratch mm -hmm. and you get a sense of how the pieces fit together. Uh, and it's a whole different feel, which I've kind of lost since I don't do that much anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but when you actually do the math, you get a different sense of what the chart's about. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's interesting because people like me who've gotten into astrology, you know, pretty much from the beginning using computers. It's very interesting because I have a musical background. And I think there's mm -hmm. an analog with say Bach where everything was written by hand and he would actually sort of draw out the contour of a phrase whereas now you know musical engraving or musical scores mm -hmm. you know it's essentially all automated and by computer software so you know there's um, an efficiency that's gained but then there's something that's lost as well right yeah it's a feeling about the chart that's lost mm -hmm. Well, now that's interesting. You said feelings. So does that, you know, that's very interesting because sometimes we think of feelings as not being objective. So do you, do you feel like when you were, you said you lost something, but then when you drew out charts by hand, how do you feel like your performance was when you were doing it by hand versus by computers or not? It was more of a just kind of feel not really, um, you know, uh, something that mattered too much in the end? Well, I think it mattered in the sense that it's like if you get to know somebody very well, like a good friend, mm -hmm. you, you have a good sense of how they're going to behave in different situations that a casual acquaintance you wouldn't have the same sense for. That's mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you also, you have a background in math as well, right? Yeah. I always liked math and science. So. Wow. So do you feel like, I mean, I guess it seems like everything was pretty integrated, but there was a point um, at, at which sort of everything came together, or was astrology, astronomy, math, and there was sort of this one moment where it was like, wow, this this kind of all makes sense to me in some sort of integrated you know, system here of astrology. Well, you know, the, the math is a tool that astrologers use to make their predictions, basically, to cast charts. Mm -hmm. So I think an understanding of math, if you understand the math, there's certain logical implications that mm -hmm. if A is true and B is true, then C must follow. Mm -hmm. uh, I, can't, I can't think of a good example. <laughs> but so... In understanding the math and how this chart is constructed, you get a sense of if something changes in this part of the chart, it will necessarily imply changes elsewhere. And so you get a sense of the causality of the chart, mm -hmm. the flow of the chart. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. That takes us back to causation. And then causation is very different in astrology. And we don't really have a handle on that, but then we're still using some things that we know very well, the positions of the planets, you know, um, you know, the, the phase of the moon, all that's understood very mm -hmm. well. But then there, you know, logic still can fail us. So that it's, that's very interesting um, that, you know, still applying logic and using it very well, but in a very different setting of astrology. Right. But I was thinking of something much simpler. For example, if I'm working with progressions or directions and i know the midheaven will move one degree along the equator mm -hmm. and i know your latitude and i know the uh obliquity of the ecliptic and so on and your horizon then i'll know that if the midheaven moves just one degree the ascendant might move two degrees mm -hmm. and so there'll be a much bigger change in your ascendant than in your midheaven and so to me that's significant Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. a little change in one part of the chart implies certain other mm -hmm. sort of mandatory change in, in other parts of the chart at the simultaneously. Right. You know, it's funny. I used to be a trumpet player, so mm -hmm. I I used to talk with um, sort of people who hammered out trumpets. You know, they did metallurgy and all that. Mm -hmm. And there was this one guy, he would say, okay, if you hammer out one part of the trumpet, then it has all these 
potential unintended consequences from um, you know the sort of the other like if you hammered out the bell then it might sort of affect some of the valves or this kind of thing exactly it's a very good analogy so if you have a good sense of changing one little part of the chart will have all these ramifications throughout the rest of the chart you get a much better feel for what the flow the predict the development of the chart over time will be like the the, the analogy with the trumpet's a good one mm -hmm. So I want to move into, you know, astrology is, you know, your avocation, you know, it's, and there, it's interesting because there are a lot of people all throughout history. I mean, they don't, their, you know, profession is not, you know, maybe what they do or they, they spend a lot of their leisure time kind of pursuing, you know, it just all kinds of composers, people, you know, it wasn't so, but I'm interested um, because you were a psychiatrist and especially in the 20th century, psychological astrology really took hold and there's especially some astrologers they draw a parallel between psychoanalysis specifically and astrology insofar as we you know when the analyzon comes in to a session it's basically about just trying to figure out what certain subconscious motivations are and then gaining some insight into that and having sort of a neutral stance it did did astrology over many years kind of blend into what you were doing, at least formally or informally? Uh, informally. I never formally used astrology in my practice because that wasn't what people came to see me for. And so I kept it separate. But of course, knowing astrology, and especially the symbolism of astrology, certainly informed the way I thought about things. Or if I heard a dream, for instance, uh, knowing having a sense of the symbolism of the dream, both from what the person said and then more in the general culture, including astrology, but not just astrology, mythology, literature, and so on, uh, w would give me an impression of what the dream might be about and how it might relate to the person's life. Yes, and I, I remember reading through your book, um, I think it was Terror Beyond the Basics, and you were relaying a story. There was a patient, I think it was in Bridgeport, who was kind of wreaking havoc in the community, and you actually drew a few tarot cards, because you also you know, study tarot very seriously, mm -hmm. right about that, that the cards were able to elucidate the situation and what might happen. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that example. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. That's right. But it was just, I remember your words in the book. It was This guy was wreaking havoc. And you're like, well, what's going to happen? And the cards seemed to suggest that there might be an outcome, a better outcome. It was a three-card spread. Mm -hmm. But, um, and it was interesting. I was just in Vienna and I visited, um, well, it's shut down, but Freud's house. And it was very interesting because you talk about mythology and all this. And Freud had, you know, these, um, you know, little statues in his office and studio, and he called them dirty gods. I was reading mm -hmm. about this. And it's interesting because he had that break from Jung, um, you know, sort of rejecting any spirituality. Um, but there were actually, now that there's a little bit of, I think it was Liz Green came out with a book, and she was um, talking about, that Freud had actually written to Jung and said he was an honorary sort of astrologer, sort of spiritual seeker, which I found mm -hmm. very, I found very interesting. Um, but I guess that, that, yeah, that's another question I have for you in, in psychology and, you know, some of the social sciences, it's still in many ways looked down upon to um, use some sort of spiritual dimension to, um, you know, for therapeutic gains. Did you, have you, did you find that a lot, you know, in your practice of being a psychiatrist that, or were you um, sort of out, so to speak, to other people that you were doing astrology or did you pretty much keep it separate? Well, certainly my friends knew and some of my colleagues knew. Um, I didn't let patients know because it seemed like it would, it could interfere with the work. Not necessarily that it would, but, uh, it's best to, in psychiatry, to be neutral in the sense of you don't want to bring your own issues into the session. You, you really want to focus on what the patient brings to you. And 
know, for some people, astrology is black magic. It's work of the devil. It's uh, really against their religion. And that can interfere. And if there's no need to bring it up, why bring it up? Uh, since I'm not doing astrology with them. Uh, and other people, you know, might focus on, be interested in astrology and want to focus on the astrology instead of focusing on the problem they came to see me for, <laughs> which was the other possibility. So that's interesting. So you actually... Would you say that it wasn't even so much your colleagues, but that you actually maybe had some patience with a certain religious orientation and that would really disrupt the session? Oh, yeah. And for instance, a highly religious, fundamental religious people uh, believe that any kind of divination is the work of the devil and would be probably scared to go see somebody who did any kind of divinatory practice thinking somehow yeah i find that so interesting because i just my it's actually it's interesting i i do have some psychologists who come to see me as an astrologer and it's very interesting but i did you ever experience in the social sciences some people who were like oh my god what are you doing like how can you be doing astrology i would have oh yeah i've had colleagues say that to me like you believe in this stuff? You waste your time reading that stuff? Right. Why are you wasting your time? You could be doing something else. Right. More, more productive, yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, it's just funny. And then do, do you find that there are people, though, who maybe publicly take that stance, but then, you know, behind the scenes actually are interested in it? I, it just, Freud happens to be on my mind because I was in Vienna and he had the, it was this little thing about the dirty gods. And, you know, I don't know what he meant by that, but it almost, it seems to me almost like it was something like devilish that he was kind of looking into like, oh, you know, I'm interested in this, but, you know, I don't, it's, I'm really a rationalist materialist. I'm trying to do mm-hmm. science okay. here, this kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. There certainly, I think, is a bias in general in at least American science against astrology. You know, there was a famous manifesto. Do you, do you know this? The, I think it was 1975. A group of scientists published a manifesto against psychiatry, against uh, astrology. Oh, right. That was the, the PSYCOP, correct? Yeah. 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 Nobel Prize winners. And basically, their message was, we're great scientists. We think rationally. And you're corrupting your mind if you are interested in astrology or listen to astrologers. That was the gist of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's so it's so interesting because, you know, both you and I are big fans of Jeffrey Cornelius and his book, mm-hmm. The Moment of Astrology. And to be quite frank, a lot of the science that we've done on astrology has failed miserably. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I think so it will that, fail because it's not a problem. <laughs> right, so in that, in that manifesto, yeah. Carl Sagan refused to sign it. Correct, correct. And he gave a, a brilliant rebuttal. He said... How can we say, listen to us because we know best because we're scientists without any evidence or proof for having studied the subject? Well, that's right. I mean, because I think the proper response would be, well, look, we we can't prove a negative. We can't prove that it's not. We would have to do, you know, if somebody posits something, you'd have to test that. So even though, let's say there was a lot of evidence up to that point, you know, to suggest that astrology, you know, couldn't pass scientific muster, you know, it still would be an open question, um, which is not so it's not very scientific for, you know, this governing body to sort of the the, <laughs> the rational scientific police, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. But um, that was very interesting. Uh, we sort of went on a nice turn there. Um, but then that I guess that get ba- gets back to maybe your own quest where it was, you know, you sort of had a very, from a very early age, very scientific, mathematical orientation, but then wait, what's this astrology thing and trying to fit it all together or maybe not fit it together, but that, you know, there's, there are these, it's sort of a golden thread that's happening and, you know, it's not always so clear what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other point to the, you know, this rationalists, I mean, the, you know, the brain and maybe even the cosmos and spiritually, it doesn't really work rationally. I mean, things don't, you know, going back to your point about divination, they don't always work um, 
you know, according to this, the laws of science, you know, planes fly, the light bulb turns on, you know, we know all that very well, but there's something else potentially going on here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Just, it's fascinating stuff. Absolutely. I mean, you know, well, see, I, I was just thinking, I remember as a teenager reading, there was a book I loved called Mr. Tompkins in Wonderland. I don't know if you know this book. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, Miss Optimus. And it was written by a physicist called George Gamow or Gamow. I'm not sure he pronounces it. And it was about Einstein's theory of relativity. And it's it's brilliantly done because the way he writes it is this kid goes to a lecture on relativity, and then that night he has a dream. And in the dream, he's in a land where Einstein's hypotheses about a relativistic universe are part of the norm. Mm. You know, so if you if you go too fast, your size changes, time either speeds up or slows down, and so on. And so he, he brings Einstein's ideas to life by means of this fictional story, like fantasy science fiction, mm -hmm. except that it's not fantasy science fiction. It really is Einstein's theory of relativity mm -hmm. in the guise of fantasy science fiction. And that was much wilder than any of the astrology stuff I was doing. <laughs> So this is this is interesting because um, one of the things you said in your book, Horary Astrology, Plain and Simple, which I absolutely love, I use it all the time, um, even when I'm not doing Horary Astrology, I'm just doing, you know, basic birth charts uh, for people. But, you know, at the end, you really talk about how it's so important to read literature and to study you know, poetry and, or, you know, just to learn art and um, to understand, you know, archetypes and who are, you know, certain personality types that show up again and again in our lives. And we, we live out these stories. Do you, you know, sometimes I think that's something astrologers could actually do better. I mean, I think it gets so into charts and we just, we feel like we have it. Okay. Mars is X and then that's happening and in a person psychologically or event wise, but how do you see, you know, the real need to um, to understand humanity and the humanities itself. Is that something you think astrologers do pretty well or they could do better? Well, I think we could do it better. Um, see, I think if we look at astrology, the history of astrology historically, how did it develop? Where did it come from? Uh, if you go back to the Babylonians, the Mesopotamian times, what they did over many centuries, they recorded celestial phenomena in the sky on the clay tablets, cuneiform tablets. And next to the event that happened, like Mars squares Jupiter, say, I'm making that up, I don't know if that's one of them, they would put down the events that occurred on Earth during that period. And then they would go back. They had literally hundreds of years of these uh, empirical uh, lists when the same phenomenon appeared in the sky they would say well last time you know this happened 50 years ago when there was a war and 75 years before that there was a famine and so we think next year is going to be very difficult we could have a war or a famine because there's this consistent pattern we're seeing so it was really an omen war and they would have advised the king based on historical records of matching celestial phenomena with events on earth and so from the beginning we were looking at the sky and reading human life and history into the patterns in the sky in the stars and then when it got to greece they mathematized it they made a mathematical logical philosophical system out of what the mesopotamian astrology had been doing and they then incorporated Greek philosophy into what they thought the chart meant. And so, for example, they would take Plato's dialogues and match them to what's going on in the sky or in the chart. Uh, for instance, the part of spirit or the part of diamond comes straight from Plato. This is your guardian angel, your guide spirit who brings your soul back for another reincarnation. And so he has a part or he or she, whatever the gender is, 
has a part in the chart assigned to it and has a whole house where it rejoices. It rejoices. Actually, it's a whole house named after it, Hellenistic. The 11th house is the house of the good daimon, which is a concept from Plato and other Greek philosophers that was really an important part of the spirituality of the time that then we as astrologers projected into the chart as we were developing the theory of astrology. And so this idea of understanding the culture, the philosophy, the myths and the images and the archetypes is how astrology developed. Astrologers took those ideas and mapped them onto the chart and used them as interpretive devices. It's really extraordinary. And, you know, going back, fact and fiction, myth and reality, you know, they weren't, they were more interconnected. You know, it was much more, um, I don't want to say discursive, but, you know, there were, there weren't these, um, perhaps it's a vestige of the industrial revolution like we we have to everything has to be so labeled and sectioned off and you know everything has to have its proper place whereas there was more this narrative and free-flowing you know quality of the mind and spirit that was more formalized as you say which is it's pretty extraordinary um so then that I think brings me to my next question. You, you wrote in your book, Horary Astrology, Plain and Simple, that trying to force the mind on the cosmos doesn't work. <laughs> so even if we have these wonderful tools like astrology that we can see events reflected in an astrology chart and in the heavens, and you know, we can, um, especially when it's the moment, it's you know, a theme that's coming up, we can, um, you know, see that a person is, their nature is reflected in a chart. You know, there are times, you know, and this happens in literature, mythology, people try to force their mind on the world and it just doesn't work. I, I think of um, the character comes to mind, Gerald in uh, Women in Love by D.H. Lawrence. And mm -hmm. at some point he says, um, I just wanted to, you know, have my mind be actualized in the world. And he's a wealthy industrialist, but he ends up tragically and you know dying in the end because he he just allows the passion of the mind to go off the rails but have you ever seen that like in trying you know again going back to this trying to have a neutral stance you know when we cast a chart or we look into something astrologically but then people actually trying to use it and it really backfires on them um hmm. Yes, I've probably seen it, but I can't think of a specific example. <laughs> um, you know, to some extent, well, actually, there's a very nice um, essay by Mark Riley about Vedius Valens, the uh, Hellenistic astrologer. I think he was first century. And he, Vedius Valens talks about his approach to astrology. And basically, it's, it's kind of a stoic approach. He says that um, I study the chart to see what's in store for me so that I can adapt to it. Uh, because this is what the universe has planned for me. And, <clears throat> and I want to be ready for it and do the best I can with what I'm given, which is it's kind of a, it's a very stoical position. But it's, it's also a very spiritual position that there's certain things that are going to happen that I can't change, that I can't affect. So it's best that I know in advance they're coming and I can adapt to them as best I can and, and make the best of them. Yeah, and that's very interesting because I, I think it was, I used to read Greek when I was in Connecticut. I went to this Greek reading group. These guys, they were actually Greek and they practiced meditation. I would just sit there and they would translate. It was actually, um, I think it was Marcus Aurelius written in Greek. Mm -hmm. And it was something along the lines of, he said, you know, be moved by the beauty of the stars, but don't be so moved by them that you lose your bearings. Mm -hmm. So again, this very stoic idea and accepting things as they are. But then, you know, the this actually comes back around to the moment of astrology, which it, you know, the idea that destiny is negotiable, which, you know, really that cuts a little bit against the stoic idea. So maybe we don't get to decide everything, but there can be some, you know, wiggle room. We can, you know, not necessarily accept fate, but, you know, I, I guess this cuts a little bit against some of the Greek idea about stoicism, but 
you know, cutting against that you actually do have some agency in life. I, I often think you have more agency, ironically, when you say, you know what, I can't control this. And then you actually get some wiggle room with stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what, I'm out of control here. But then strangely, ironically, then you can have more control. Yeah, I think you, you can have a sense of inner freedom if you have a kind of a, an understanding that certain things will happen and I can't change that. So why am I going to get upset about it? I'll just do the best I can to get through this period and you'll probably do better that way. <laughs> right. Um, so again, you know, I love the book Horror Astrology, Plain and Simple. One of the things you say in it about actually your own nature is that sometimes you can have a negative temperament. So you actually look <laughs> at <laughs> yeah. so you, you look at the, the some of the planetary bodies in a certain way, like, you know, Pluto, Mars, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune that oftentimes they can really have a very malefic quality. So when they show up in a chart, you tend to interpret them that way. Is, you know, is that a, what do you think about that? That, you know, you, you send, tend to take an approach that way. And does, again. Well, I think it comes naturally. <laughs> it's not taking an approach. <laughs> I, there's one of these business principles if something can go wrong at will. I forget who that is. Is that the <laughs> Peter principle or? <laughs> Oh yeah, the, well, the, what is it? Occam's razor, or um, yeah. yeah. Well, the Peter's principle. They, that's fun because oh, that, no, is that the people rise to their highest yes, levels of the, confidence. Competency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's along yeah. the same lines. But yeah, there's this other. If something can go wrong at will, just expect it. <laughs> I guess you now was it Occam's razor or what? You know what? No, Occam's razor is no. usually the simplest explanation. Is right. Is the best. Oh, Kr- Kramer's now. What is it, Jimmy? It's the it can go to go go wrong. Huh? Oh, Murphy's law. Murphy's law. Murphy's law. Oh, it's Murphy's go. law. Yeah. <laughs> I get, but you know, I guess you're right. These are maxims, but you know, I'm getting at a little bit sometimes how we look at it, you know, somewhat along the lines of say the observer effect, you know, that sometimes again, how we look into things has a lot to do with how they might appear to us or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just making a point to that. When I guess in that you, you must, you know, obviously we all look at our own birth charts. Do you think you, you look at your chart and you say, wow, this is my nature. This is what has led me to this point to do astrology or to do other things in my life um, that you can see, you know, based on your own nature, your own, you know, psychological makeup. Um, I don't think I use my chart that way too much. It's more it's I'm always studying my chart from a new way when I learn something new and say, oh, so that's how that plays out. It's. It's really using my life experience to understand what the symbols in the chart mean. It's sort of in the reverse order. Instead of reading the chart to see what I'm about, is like studying myself and then looking at the chart and saying, how do these aspects of my life or my personality fit these symbols in the chart? Hmm. I think that makes sense because... You know, you can't just like, I mean, you can generally look at a chart and, you know, there are very important points. I mean, anybody would understand the sun, moon, and then also the ascendant is very important. You know, so certain things are major themes. But then, again, going back to this idea of, you know, synchronicity, that things arise in a moment and then it's like, okay, how does that play out in my chart? And then, you know, you're looking at a certain planet and it rules a certain part of the chart. And then it's like, okay, I get that. And maybe a certain transit or something is happening in the chart and it elucidates. Okay. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then I guess that, you know, there, there's the, which I, you know, I think it's kind of a silly debate, but the, the break, the, the psychological astrologers versus the more event based astrology, but it, it doesn't seem like they have to be mutually exclusive, but do you ever feel yourself, you know, looking at a chart where it's, um, you know, like, wow, this really has psychological depth to it, or I'm, I'm seeing the psychology of this versus, okay, this is this event. I, I remember we were looking at a chart and it was like, why you were saying, look, I feel like this is going to be like a real transformation. There was, you know, eighth house is the house of transformation, but I was kind of looking at it more literally, the eighth house is joint finances and money mm-hmm. and your partner's money. And I was kind of like, wow, I'm kind of looking at this as about a fight around money, like an event thing that's going to happen versus some sort of, 
you know, and I think it was even a lunar return through secondary progressions or something, but it was, you know, it was both of them kind of came up and it, you know, it's sort of like, is it both? Is it one? You know, is there something, sometimes you're looking at a chart and it's like, wow, something, I feel like this is going to be psychological or another time where it's like, like wow, this is just going to be an event and it's not necessarily going to be psychological. Well, so I don't think it's either or. I think it's usually both. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but the other point is that people usually consult astrologers or psychiatrists for that matter because there's something going on in their life that's bothering them and they want help with it. And so there's always this psychological dimension. Why else would you go consult a professional for some kind of help unless you felt a need to? And so in psychiatry, it's like if someone comes to see you as a psychiatrist, it's because in some way they are suffering and they want the suffering alleviated. And they think you can help them with that. And a similar thing, I think, goes on in astrology. It, something is bothering them. They really want outside help with it. They feel they can't resolve it themselves. And so there's always this dimension of, I need your help to resolve something, which is psychological. Now, the something they want to resolve may be focused on a specific issue. Like if it's the eighth house, maybe it is problems with money with the partner, for instance, or uh, but that's kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's got to be some sort of psychological basis for that as well. Yeah, it, it's so interesting because I remember reading a, the it's a famous book by David Burns, uh, Feeling Good, the, the cognitive <laughs> psychologist, which, you know, there you know, still debates raging about different types of therapeutic modes. But he, from what I understand, he actually gave his clients surveys and basically the main thing that they wanted was to be felt, feel like they were cared about and to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, astrology has an even third dimension of that where it's like, okay, if a client comes in, it's not like, oh, it's you, it's your problems. It's, you know, you're, you know, you, you brought yourself to this situation, but it's like, well, actually Mars is wreaking havoc in your chart. So it's like the clients get the, you know, they get the perhaps the old talking cure, which, you know, Freud, they get to be listened to, they get, you know, to hopefully be cared for. But then some of these events, even if they don't understand it, they can feel, wow, there's something outside of myself. I guess going back to what you were saying about the Stoics, okay, I can't control it, but it gives me comfort that things are out of my control and now I can actually move on them a little bit. So it's well, very interesting. some pattern in the universe that I'm part of, yeah. Okay, so, I, you know, I remember reading in your Tara book, the Tara Beyond the Basics, at one point you were a little, you, I think you said you wanted to take a hiatus from horary astrology, that you, you a little bit with the, you know, the more predictive astrology, were just, it was like, okay, I wanted to take a break, and you really, you found tarot at that point very creative. What did you find so creative about tarot, and perhaps what do you still find so creative about it? Um, well, I think it's the symbolism. I think what interested me in astrology was not just its ability to predict very precisely events, but also the symbolism. And what got me into tarot was really paying attention to the astrology symbolism and then realizing that a lot of the same symbolism showed up in the tarot cards. And in fact, reading some of the history of tarot that deliberately the golden dawn the hermetic order of the golden dawn designed their tarot deck around the the meanings of the horoscope around the the 36 decans of the horoscope and the planets and the um you know, signs that they ruled and so on so that the rider weight deck for instance the crowley deck and all the golden dawn inspired decks really are rooted in astrological symbolism and they're much more divinatory in the sense that they're much more random in selection you you shuffle cards and you leave it to the universe to allow you to pick cards randomly that somehow are 
thematically connected to what's on your mind. Whereas in astrology, you mathematically select the symbols based on the astronomy of the solar system. Right. And for people listening, just to understand, so especially with horary astrology, you know, the more predictive part of astrology, it is it still is the moment. So it happens to be somebody has a pressing question. And by the way, they're pretty specific, um, strict rules in horary astrology about whether you can even take the chart or whether it's radical or not. So it's not like a willy nilly thing, you know, and it's it's not just like, oh, well, let's, you know, look at the chart you know, um, you know, on a whim, but it's like, okay, this person's asking a specific question. And then we look at the chart at that moment. Um, and the same thing is true of the cards, you know, it's, it it almost needs to be prompted by something to come alive. Uh, just so, yeah. Right. The question has to be sincere and important. Yeah. Right. Um, or or another way to say that it's garbage in garbage out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. But you get what you put in, you get out what you put into it. Um, So, you know, this, these are, we're talking about different forms um, of divination. You know, there's, there are so many, I mean, there's, you know, as you're talking about astrology, tarot, but there's, there are also, you were, you're a little interested in I Ching too, right? Oh, for a long time. Yeah. I, I mean, I still am interested, but I I did a lot of reading and research in I Ching. Yeah. So this is interesting. I mean, about really why I love you as a student of divination and the world, you you really look into all these different traditions and just kind of go in with, again, sort of a neutral attitude. Let's see what happens. Are are there any specific traditions where you're like, wow, that this is, you know, if I had a desert island tradition, okay, I would take you know, I would take my ephemeris and I would cast charts or I would take the tarot cards. Or I, it's a fair question. Any single one? No, the, I think they're all variations on a theme of divination, understanding the symbolism of the moment. And there's no one right or wrong way to do it. Uh, my favorite is astrology, no question. Oh, okay. I think it's so the it's richest and most interesting. Uh, tarot, certainly, I Ching, uh, the Lennerman cards are interesting. There are certain other, there's a, um, is it Tibetan? The Mo divination, do you know Mo divination? No. Uh, I can't uh, I remember if, which country it's from, but it's fascinating. It's it's a lot like the I Ching. It's done with dice and uh, you roll the dice. You have to, it's a kind of a religious experience. You have to, chant in a certain way and only at the right moment do you roll the dice and ask your question and it generates eaching like uh, sentences or paragraphs that really uh, I find quite powerful. I don't do it very often, uh, but it, it seems to be, it's very impressive. It's Tibetan. Okay, mm. I just looked it up. Mo, Mo like Mo, like, like Curly and Mo, the Three Stooges. <laughs> but it's a, it's a form of Tibetan divination, similar to the I Ching, and it's very powerful. I find it very powerful when I do it. And because of that, I don't do it very, maybe once a year I'll do a Mo divination. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, the astrologer, I think it was Charles Jane, he said it was really more about picking the right technique at the right time. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't so much about which was the best, um, but really, which one are you doing? I, I mean, I, I guess I have to say, yeah, astrology is my favorite. Although I find for, again, for pressing questions, especially if a client comes in, you know, and they most of the time the natal chart I find can take care of a lot, but then mm-hmm. there's something really pressing, and then I, it's like it's not really a horary chart. Sometimes the cards are really helpful. Um, okay, is there so we uh, you know just maybe a quick um, you know again we were talking about literature art. Is there you know I remember reading through your tower book you for the death card you you cited a poem by Emily Dickinson or you know there are. Um, you know, just other, is there anything, you know, you have like a couple core works of literature or art or music that really inspire you? I know there's so much, but. There is so much. <laughs> well, Shakespeare. But okay. That's yeah. sort of cheating. Who doesn't he inspire? Inspire. Well, 
Well, and that's very interesting because, you know, I, I had a friend come over and we were talking about, um, I guess it was Antony and Cleopatra. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there, there's some astrological symbolism there. I think, um, there's a character I believe named Taurus and it, it's this idea of, um, the element of earth not being with Anthony and Cleopatra. And then they, they basically dissolve into each other, but then they, they transcend the, um, the travails of life, you know, as a result of the romanticism, but, but you know, yeah, Shakespeare, I mean, or the moon cycles, I think in, um, you know, midsummer night's dream. So mm -hmm. there, so I, do you, are you interested in the astrology of Shakespeare at all or, uh, not in the strict sense of astrology. He's just a brilliant observer of human nature. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, so Shakespeare, any other ones? I'm sorry, I cut in there. I was just, you know... Just... That's, that's okay for cutting in. Um, <laughs> not one in particular. Um, okay. I, mean, any... I, I love opera, but I don't know that that inspires me. <laughs> I, well, in I astrology, <laughs> the I music. I, mean, I love the music of opera. And, uh... yeah, it's funny too. I I absolutely love opera, and I I yeah. spend a lot of time. Yeah, I haven't found too many. Um, you know, there aren't too many operas that deal with the. Well, actually, interestingly, a lot of the Baroque operas they get into the gods and they get into the planets. Um, I forget. I think it was Tannhäuser with Wagner. It's something you know. Mm -hmm. Venus gets involved. Oh uh, right, Venus. Yeah. Yes. So there, there are. It depends. Um, you know, it, but not not overtly all the time. Um, but yeah, I I absolutely love opera. I especially love a lot of the older singers. Like it's funny we're talking about it now because I love like Franco Corelli or mm -hmm. you know the really old the the, the earlier generation. Um, it was yeah. all the bel canto singing so that's a fun thing that we any singers that you love um in particular well in particular uh kirsten flagstaff oh my god yes um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this. this is great yeah. oh yes yeah uh birgit nielsen Oh my God! Yeah. Well, actually, I heard her singing as Venus, <laughs> Venus and Tannhäuser. She was wonderful. Oh. <clears throat> um, there are some of the older tenors that I like. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, well, Pier she, I mean, she was, you know, Kirsten Flags. That whole, the whole line. Oh, she was wonder, just wonderful, just the, wonderful. the line of the Wagnerian sopranos there. Mm -hmm. Um, oh my God. Yeah. I've, I've really, I've been getting into, um, you know, Franco Corelli a lot, the, the mm -hmm. amazing Italian tenor. I mean, they had a different way yep. that they sang too. It was, it was so passionate and just, they threw their whole bodies into it. It was more the bel yeah. training. So it was a very mm -hmm. different way than singers sing today. Okay. So I don't want to get oh. it. We can, we can have a whole podcast on. Go to Gundelianovic, know her. She's wonderful. Okay. Uh, so anyway, we're getting off the subject. <laughs> okay, so one one last thing, you know, if you could, you know, you made predictions as a kid. Um, what do you see for the future of astrology, or even what would you like to see for the future of astrology? Uh, well, I think astrology has grown enormously since I was a kid. Uh, it's a lot more people are interested. It's a lot more available, mm -hmm. and. What interests me the most is the historical research and the availability of translations of these older texts mm -hmm. so that we're getting a real sense of how it developed, where it came from, and how it uh, changed over the years. And so, to my mind, a very important current is the, the historical study of the origins and development and what the ideas really meant originally what, where they came from and how they changed over time i think i think there's a lot of nonsense written in astrology <laughs> uh, based on either people not knowing very much to begin with or not understanding what the words originally meant mm -hmm. even simple words like house house meant something very different originally in fact originally the houses weren't houses at all there were places and uh so that would be an interesting discussion because 
I think we don't understand houses. And um, oh my god! Well, I think a lot of people they oh lord! I I, actually, I wrote a little essay about this online and basically likening houses and for people listening, houses essentially as we use them, it's where things happen in a chart, like different sectors. But I wrote about people fight over different house systems and how to cast the chart in a certain way, and I, I sort of likened it to a housing or property dispute. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just. Um, but yeah, the, the meaning of words and then, you know, but perhaps the future takes us back to the past, which we lost the integration of, you know, spirituality and then taking it to logic and then yeah. distilling it to something we can understand, but not losing, you know, the core spirit of it. You know, the word spirit means breath force. So literally what I know, isn't that beautiful? So what pulsates within us and our breathing, you know, in and out that we're actually connected to the world around us. And it's not just this objective, you know, scientific understanding, you know, wonderful as that is, you know, that we can falsify things and, you know, really use them in our daily lives. But, um, okay, so the, the more the historical that shall shepherd us into the future. Okay. And my hope is there'll be more of an integration. Right now there are different camps that fight with each other. And... Uh, it seems to me there's got to be some core principles that everyone can agree on, but that may not happen. <laughs> what did you say there was that story that Kali cursed all astrologers not to agree, or there's some story in Hindu astrology? Oh, right, right, right. I forget how it goes. Do you remember how it goes now? I forget, but something, you know, like it was, you know, Kali or Shiva. Maybe it was Shiva, mm -hmm. but basically cursing all astrologers to never agree. Um <laughs> I'll have to look it up. I, yeah. I guess, you know, to we're going to have to wrap up, but you know, that that again takes us back to the the paradigm of science is so powerful that the idea of okay, who's right and wrong that, you know, is um an ideology and you know, something that plays out so acutely in all of our lives that that bleeds into astrology and it gets into right or wrong. But then, you know, when one sincerely looks into the science, <laughs> a lot of it doesn't really work when you try to test it anyway. So it's, you know, the, the debates to me are very silly. Um, and then I actually, personally, I find most people, they kind of get it instinctually. Like they come to a session and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is kind of a divinatory art or it's kind of a mm -hmm. language or, you know, there aren't these debates with clients. I mean, they're, they're kind of like, okay, what works or, you know, something touches their soul. So they're not really concerned with sort of the the factions, the warring factions, if you will. So, you know, I think if, if any, you know, I find this very critical because if we're seeing clients or we're helping people, well, it's about their chart, right? It's not, in a way, it's going back to the sort of neutrality. It's not really about us or I, our ideas, but what happens when that person in the moment is sitting before us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I think I mean, this tension between science and astrology or religion or spirituality uh, is unfortunate. because Science has a certain body of knowledge it's very good for, and then science is totally ignorant in other areas. I mean, science can't explain poetry. It can't explain opera. It can't explain uh, good art. You know, it, it can't explain mythology. Uh, those are different ways of knowing. And I think there are many ways of knowing. Astrology is one of them. It's not a scientific way of knowing, but it's still a way of knowing that has value and that we can learn from. Mm, absolutely. I think we'll stop on that. So this is Anthony L. Lewis. Look, look um, Tony up online. Um, it's a wonderful blog, especially for intermediate to advanced astrologers and a lot of exploration of the things that you're talking about. Um, you know, as far as different language and different traditions in astrology and all of the wonderful books on Amazon. I mean, I, I use these books all the time. I mean, they're, they're really probably the, especially the Tarot Beyond the Basics and the Horary Astrology, Plain and Simple. You know, these are, I, I go to these books all the time. Um, so I really recommend them. You know, especially even if you're just still starting out, if you're like, okay, what's Taurus? you can still go to the horary book and it's just, it's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, really you can't 
I find you can't get better definitions than what I find in um, these books. Well, thanks. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, so I think we're going to close. Uh, so thank you, Anthony. And this is Dan Beck closing. To learn more about what I do, visit innermakeup.net. On the next episode of the Star Love Podcast, we'll be featuring America's first licensed astrologer, Maxine Taylor. We discussed everything from how she got astrology legalized in America to her unique spiritual technique that helps people move into the magic. Thank you for listening, and please rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a future episode of the Star Love Podcast, email james at innermakeup.net.